excited about what I feel. And I'm glad that uh, we can come to a place where we can feel the presence of the Lord rather than just going to a church to go to church, but we can actually connect with the Lord Jesus Christ and feel His presence and encounter His glory. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Uh, Sister Brown will be taking the children. Most of them are downstairs already. But... Amen. And uh, what a fantastic time we're having in our Bible reading. Those of you that are following along in your Bible reading, it's really an exciting portion of Scripture, both in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel as we're reading through in the New Testament in the book of John, as Jesus is bold-faced declaring his deity uh, to people who are wondering if, if, if he is really who he claims to be or if he is mentally deranged, essentially. And uh, these people are trying to figure out what is the story on Jesus. And uh, we'll be um, uh, studying the Word of God tonight from our Bible reading from this last week, specifically Friday, Saturday, and Sunday's uh, reading. Um, from the book of First uh, Samuel, uh, the story of Saul and David, and uh, we'll be looking into that. I do want to mention that directly following the service for just a few moments, uh, we need to meet with all the men of the church concerning the workday on Saturday just to kind of give some directives on that. So that's right at the end of service. But if you have your one-year Bible, turn to May 20th. If you don't have a one-year Bible, you have a regular Bible, turn to First Samuel chapter number 26. And uh, we're going to begin with a verse of Scripture that kind of sums up uh, our uh, course of study for today. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 26 and verse number 23 says, The Lord gives his own reward for doing good and for being loyal. And I refused to kill you even when the Lord placed you in my power. For you are the Lord's anointed one. Now may the Lord value my life even as I have valued yours today. May he rescue me from all my troubles. These are the words of David when he speaking to King Saul, who King Saul has been working, endeavoring to kill David. David had an opportunity to kill King Saul, but rather than doing that, he took his spear and his pitcher of water right that was right next to him as he slept, went across to the other mountainside and called for them, and they awoke. And David was saying to Saul, in effect, I had an opportunity to kill you, but I did not kill you because I'm not going to take matters in my own hands. I'm going to trust the Lord to take care of things. And I think this is a very, very powerful scripture. It really hit me when I read it. He said, uh, essentially, um, the Lord gives his own reward for doing good and for being loyal. I'm going to trust in God to take care of this situation. I refuse to kill you or take matters into my own hand, even though the Lord placed you in my power because you are the Lord's anointed one. And he says, now may the Lord value my life even as I have valued yours today. In other words, because I treated you right, God's going to treat me right. Because I valued your life, God's going to value my life. Because I had respect unto your anointing, God is going to have respect unto me and give anointing to me as well. And what I want to talk to you tonight for a few moments about is David's test of faith. And more specifically, we could put it in a plural form, David's tests of faith. And we know that from Scripture and our reading that David was 
a great man of faith, even as a young man, as a teenager and a young man, that uh, when the lion and the bear came to attack the flock, he moved with aggressiveness against them and uh, essentially was uh, able to destroy the lion and the bear because God was with him and he put his trust in the Lord. He put his trust in God. And then, of course, the greatest story of David's life that all of us knew since we were children is the story of David and Goliath, Goliath the nine-foot-tall giant who David was able to slay. And even though David was just a youth, he went out with boldness and confidence in God. And, and really, it's, a, it's an easy story to hear and to tell and just kind of rolls off the tongue. But if you really think about this young man, untested in battle, going out to fight, to fight against and face this great warrior, and uh, what boldness and what faith in God that he had. He said, you come to me with a sword and a spear. I just have a sling, but I come to you in the name of the God of the armies of Israel. So he was a great man of faith. But before, after David's anointing by Samuel and prior to David's ascent to the throne, there was a period of testing. And uh, as we read here in Scripture the testing of David's faith, it's very interesting how his faith was tested and how he passed the test. Friday's reading included 1 Samuel 24. Saturday's reading included 1 Samuel 25. Sunday's reading included 1 Samuel chapter 26. And these three chapters in the Word of God, as, as I'm studying this, they represent three of David's greatest tests before he ascended to the throne, before he actually stepped in to uh, his purpose and to his anointing, his full anointing, was that he was tested on these three different occasions. First of all, in 1 Samuel chapter 24 and 3 is the first chance that David had to avenge himself of King Saul. Most of you all know the story very well that uh, David had become so popular and uh, after slaying the giant and after subsequent victories and his charm and personality and good looks that people begin to exalt him in the kingdom, even though Saul was still the king. And uh, when you understand the subtext of the scripture, God had already rejected Saul because of disobedience and had accepted David, a man after his own heart, to become the next king uh, of Israel. But uh, somewhere along the way, Saul was oppressed by an evil spirit, and he would become so very angry at David that even when David was there in his presence playing a harp to soothe him, he would become angry and throw a javelin or spear at him on two different occasions trying to kill him. And uh, uh, Saul, who had once loved David and uh, was uh, so, um, uh, so moved by David and loved David, was now so full of anger that he was seeking David out like a criminal taking his soldiers and going from place to place uh, throughout the Judean hills, trying to find David and end his life because he was threatened by David. And he was jealous uh, of uh, this young man's uh, obvious ascent and how that he was going to take his place on the throne. Now, the first example, 1 Samuel chapter 24 and 3, Saul went into a cave. Uh, and as it happened, David and his men were hiding in that very cave. Now's the opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today is the day the Lord was talking about when he said, I will put Saul into your power to do as you wish. Then David crept forward and cut off a piece of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he, has, he had cut Saul's robe. Can you imagine? A man's trying to kill him and his conscience is bothering him because he cut his robe. 
And uh, verse 6, the Lord knows I shouldn't have done it, he said to his men. It's a serious thing to attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David sharply rebuked his men and did not let them kill Saul. And when he let Saul know what had happened, Saul had a change of heart. But then Saul once again was overwhelmed with anger and jealousy and sought David out to kill him again. Now in 1 Samuel chapter 25 is another test of David. Is that uh, David and his men had been out in the hills. While they were in the hills, they were providing protection to a group of shepherds. These shepherds cared for the flocks of a man named Nabal. And uh, when David came uh, at the time of the shearing of the sheep, he and his men were hungry and they needed nourishment. And so he sent word through the shepherds to Nabal saying, Would you allow us some provision seeing as we have protected your soldiers uh, or your shepherds uh, as uh, we have protected them uh, during this time in the wilderness? And uh, Nabal, the Bible says, was a fool. Uh, or in our terminology, we would say he was an idiot. He was crude. He, didn't, he, he had no uh, subtlety about him. He was just a boorish individual. And he sent back a real mean, disrespectful, threatening report back to David. And David became so angry, the Bible says that he grabbed his sword out and said, Get your swords. We're going to take care of this idiot for what he has done and how he's disrespected us. But somewhere along the way, uh, David was intercepted by Nabal's beautiful, charming, and wise wife, whose name was Abigail. And she stopped David in his tracks and begged him to be merciful uh, to Nabal and to the household. 1 Samuel 25:31 says, Abigail was saying, Don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then you won't have to carry on your conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me. David replied to Abigail, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Verse 33, Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murdering the man and carrying out vengeance with my own hands. David almost carried out vengeance against this churlish man named Nabal. The chapter before, David had the opportunity to carry out his vengeance against his greatest enemy, Saul. And then in chapter 26, verse number 7, once again, David gets another opportunity. He happens to sneak up on Saul and his men as Saul is seeking out David. And they're all sound asleep. The Bible says God had put them into a deep sleep. Verse 7, so David and Abishai went right into Saul's camp, found him asleep with his spear stuck in the ground beside his head. Abner and the warriors were lying asleep around him. God has surely handed your enemy over to you this time, Abishai whispered to David. Let me thrust that spear through him. I'll pin him to the ground, and I won't need to strike twice. No, David said, don't kill him. For who can remain innocent? After attacking the Lord's anointed one. Surely the Lord will strike Saul down someday. Or he will die in battle or of old age. But the Lord forbid that I should kill the one he has anointed. He refused to execute vengeance against his greatest enemy. I believe more than David's approach to Goliath. More than David's dealing with the lion and the bear. 
that his greatest test of faith were these three instances where he had been attacked, where he had experienced affrontery, where he had been mistreated, where Saul was trying to kill him, and he withheld from executing vengeance because, as the Scripture said, David said, God will take care of it. I don't have to. Not only could he trust God in battle, not only could he trust God when he was attacked by the lion, the bear, or the, the, the lambs were, but he learned how to trust God to take care of wrongs that had been done against him. And while he was running and hiding and living in caves, even though he had done nothing wrong, while he was forced to leave his family, caused to live like a vagabond amongst, amongst a group of ruffians, even though he was God's anointed, he kept the right attitude. And he treated Saul with honor and respect. And Saul paid him back by trying to kill him. And I looked at this scripture and this, these passages and I was wondering today, why did David have to go through this time of testing? Why did God... See, that's one thing that's very clear. God gave him these opportunities to execute vengeance. It wasn't just arbitrary that he happened into the same cave that David's men were standing in. It wasn't just arbitrary that they happened to be in such a deep sleep that they could walk around. And the Bible says God had caused a deep sleep. Did God put that sleep on them so David could kill them? Or did God put that sleep on them so that David could be tested? And I believe, as I read Scripture, it is because God wanted to test David. Because before David ascended to the throne, he wanted to make sure that he had control of his temper and that he knew how to properly execute judgment and how he knew to leave in the hands of God vengeance and retribution and payback. And, and uh, Brother Chris and I were talking earlier this week about the Bible reading, and he said, I never realized before that King Saul had shed so much innocent blood. In 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 17, says he ordered his bodyguards saying, Kill these priests of the Lord, for they are allies and conspirators with David. They knew he was running away from me, but they didn't tell me. Saul's men refused to kill the Lord's priests. Verse 18, then the king turned to Doeg and said, you do it. So Doeg turned on them and killed them, 85 priests in all, all still wearing their priestly tunics. Then he went to Nob, the city of the priests, and killed the priests' families, men and women, children and babies, and all the cattle, donkeys, and sheep, wiped them out at the order of King Saul. King Saul, this man who had ascended to the throne in humility, anointed of God, starting out with seemingly the right spirit. Somewhere along the way, he did not learn how to trust God to take care of issues and situations. He was willing to rise up against God's anointed priests and to execute vengeance upon them. And so just think about this. Before David, you get the throne, God says, I'm going to make sure that you won't do the same thing. I'm going to make sure that you don't rise up and execute vengeance because you've been done wrong or you feel like you've been mistreated or you feel like somebody has uh, slighted you because that's not who I want on the throne. You want to be in the kingdom, that's cool, but if you're going to be on the throne, if you're going to have my anointing, if you're going to be in an exalted position of authority and power, you've got to learn how not to execute vengeance but how to trust God to take care of it for you. 
Vengeance means taking matters into your own hands. And uh, this is what Saul did with no regard for the anointed priests. But David, during his period of testing by Saul and by Nabal as well, could have become bitter. But he kept a good attitude and refused to hurt Saul, even when he had the opportunity to hurt him and to kill him. In Isaiah chapter 61, verses 7 through 9, it says, I love this passage of Scripture. It says, Instead of shame and dishonor, you will inherit a double portion of prosperity and everlasting joy. For I, for I the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully reward my people for their suffering and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known and honored among the nations. Everyone will realize that they are a people the Lord has Blessed. In other words, what the scripture here is saying, don't worry about what people do to you in terms of wrongdoing. I'm keeping score and I'm going to pay them back for what they've done wrong. They're going to experience my vengeance. But not only that, I'm going to pay you back double for everything they've done wrong to you. God has promised that he will pay us back for all the unfair things that have happened to us in our lives if we learn not to take matters into our own hands. And when you look at Saul and the lineage of Saul and the kingdom of Saul, you understand that God knew how to take care of things better than David could have on his own. And uh, any of us that have ever been cheated or somebody lied about us, Somebody betrayed us. We feel like we've been done wrong. It's a painful experience. It's not easy. And the old human nature says, I'm going to get them. Motivates that human desire that says, I'm not going to get mad. I'll just get even. And uh, it's logical to seek revenge. And some will even encourage you to get revenge. Just like David's. Uh, fellows there, Abishai, the great young warrior, said, David, it's your time to get revenge. If anybody has a right, God's already promised he's going to put soul in your hands. Here he is. Go ahead and execute judgment. Go ahead and do what you got to do. David said, huh? I'm not touching God's anointed. I'm not messing with authority. And in the meantime, I know if he's done wrong, God will take care of him. This was David's test of faith and a demonstration of his faith. It's easy, David, to have faith to, to, to handle a bear, but to handle somebody who's mistreated you. David, do you have enough faith to believe that God will take care of it and you don't have to take care of it? Amen. And this desire to get even is not God's plan for us. We've got to learn to trust God to bring justice into our lives, to bring equality into our lives, to bring vengeance into our lives when it's needed. Hebrews 10.30 says, uh, for we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, saith the Lord, and the Lord will judge his people. I believe I taught here one time a preach that when we take matters into our own hands, we are robbing God. We know in Malachi it says, can a man rob God? You say, well, how do you rob God? When, when you keep the tithe that belongs to the Lord, that's robbing God. Or take the offerings and keep them, that's robbing God. But there's another way to rob God. And that is to take vengeance. Because God just said, it's mine. Vengeance is mine, let me repay. So if I've been done wrong and I decide to take matters into my own hand, I'm taking something that belongs to God. Everybody understand? 
I'm going to get him back. Well, go ahead and get him back. But you're stealing from God. This is God's priority and this is God's prerogative. And somebody may not be treating you right. Someone may be spreading lies about you. Someone may be trying to ruin your reputation. And, and human nature says, I'm going to set the record straight. I'm going to let them have it. I'm going to unleash on them. And you know what? No one's exempt from these feelings. Here, if you've been a Christian for a long time, that's human nature. Whether you're a, whether you're a salesman, a plumber, whether you're an electrician, you're a computer programmer, or a preacher or a pastor. There is that desire in human nature to get back at people that have done you wrong or mistreated you or done something wrong to your family. But it takes real faith to believe that I don't have to do it because God is keeping score. God keeps perfect score, and if that person is wrong, see, I'm fully convinced that they're wrong. But if they're really wrong, then God will take care of them. I don't have to deal with it myself. And some people have great faith to believe God for miracles and for healings, but they can't believe for God to bring justice into their life because it takes a higher level of faith to learn to say, no, I'm not going to touch it because God's going to take care of it. No, I'm not going to get in and get, and, and get even with that person or make them feel bad or put hurt back on them because they put hurt on me. I'm not going to do it because I'm trusting God. Even though they're hurting me currently, I'm going to trust God that He's going to take care of the situation. Amen? It's a mistake to sink to the level of the person who is wronging you and getting into arguments or fights. We've got to learn as Christians to grow up. I'm talking about becoming spiritually mature. I'm talking about the fruit of the Spirit. I'm talking about going through tests and trials. See, because God has great plans for some of you. God has a bright future and great anointing and great influence that He wants to, to, to see in your life. But it's not just going to happen just because you're gifted or talented. Somewhere along the way, you've got to go through trials and tests. And part of the trial and testing of David was he's a good guy. He didn't do anything wrong to Saul. And Saul's trying to hurt him. And David has to keep the right spirit. Why? Because David's not just any other guy. He's getting ready to ascend to the throne. In order to ascend to the throne, there's got to be a time of testing. And uh, we've got to learn to leave it up to God to take the high road and respond in love. And then sit back and watch. If there's a fight to be had, let God fight for you. Remember, it may well be a test. I'm going to get him back. It may well be a test. I don't know why they said those things about me. That, you know how we get our dander up as human beings? We, we really do. It's just, our, it's just our nature. But part of growing up spiritually is learning how not to take it into your own hands because you believe God will take care of it. Does anybody get the point here? You have to, it takes faith to do that. It takes faith to say, hands off, God's going to take care of it. I don't have to fight him back. I don't have to get back at him. I don't have to set the record straight. God is interested in finding out how you'll respond. This is the real test of your faith level, not whether you can pray and believe for a miracle. David's test of faith at this time was whether he was going to put his confidence in God and say, I don't have to kill Saul. If Saul's wrong and he needs dying, God will kill him. God will take care of it. But I'm not going to step into that place. See, you look at Saul's nature. Saul's going to jump in and take care of it. 
Somebody be worried about me. Somebody be concerned about me. Let me take care of my own self. I'm going to make sure uh, that my situations are handled. And God said, I don't want any more of that leadership over my people. And uh, God wasn't going to have the same thing that happened with Saul. And uh, uh, Saul's negative, bitter attitude and his vindictive attitude, always trying to pay people back. But before God can promote you, you have to pass the test. Maybe at work the boss is mistreating you. And uh, you feel like, hey, I'm doing all the work and I'm getting none of the credit. And it's just such a temptation to kind of mope around and say, poor old me. Look at me. I'm here. I'm working hard and and they're not working. And poor poor me. Look Look at this. But you've got to learn to keep a good attitude in situations like that. Trust that God's going to make it up to you. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep doing my best. Uh, and God is going to make it up to me. One thing I decided a long time ago, whether I was working at the hardware store or whether I was uh, working delivering pizzas or uh, whether I was working putting shingles on a roof, whether I was uh, <clears throat> working uh, as a youth minister, whether I was working as a school teacher or as a pastor, I decided a long time ago I'm not working for that person who says he's my boss. I'm showing respect to that person's authority, but I'm working for God. And so everything I do, I want to do my very best. I want to keep the right attitude. And guess what? The boss can't see when I'm working and everybody else is playing. The boss can't see when I'm focused and everybody else is distracted. The boss can't see when other people are stuffing cash in their pocket. And I'm saying, "Uh uh-uh, even though I've got the opportunity. The boss doesn't see it, but the real boss does see it. He sees everything, and he will reward me. Even if the boss fires me, God's going to promote me because, amen, because God is the one that I'm working for. God is watching, and when he is ready to promote you, it doesn't matter if the boss likes you or not. Amen. God will not allow someone to continually mistreat you. And uh, we get tempted to take matters into our own hands and manipulate the situation. What we do is we're really getting in God's way. And... uh, Maybe you've seen this before. We were the other day. We were moving into our house, and uh, we were moving things out of the house. And my daughters were excited, lots of activity and movement, and they're wanting to get involved. But you know what? They just got in the way, and they could have got hurt. So we had to ask them just move out of the way because you have no clue what's going on. You don't have the strength to handle this stuff. You're not tall enough. You're not big enough. Get out of the way and let the grown-ups handle it. See, we're like a little kid sometimes. God's going to execute vengeance. He's going to take care of our situation. Let me, let me handle it. And we just get in God's way. We need to learn to get out of the way. Say, God, you execute judgment. You take care of my future. You promote me when it's time to promote me. I don't have to manipulate things. Amen. And God can work quickly and bring it all together very, very quickly. It doesn't matter how people are treating you. Keep the right attitude. Amen. God, uh, don't return evil for evil when there's that temptation. Hey, I'll be nice to them if they'll be nice to me. But if they're going to be rude, then watch out because i got a, a gear, a low granny gear of rude that can push them out of the way. Don't get upset. Don't try to get back at people. Keep extending forgiveness and keep responding in love. And God will make sure you get everything you deserve and more. Now, I don't know if you've heard of preaching like this before, but this is real faith preaching. 
I'm believing God. But they're mistreating you. I'm believing God. It doesn't look like God's working. See, that's where faith comes in. Looks like they're having their way with you. Looks like they're mistreating you. Looks like they're rubbing your name through the dirt. It looks like you're going to end up, hey, man, I've, I've lived in this life long enough, and I've watched godly men take abuse and take mistreatment and take negative speaking, and I've never seen them come out of it destroyed. They always come out of it when they leave it in the Lord's hand, and God vindicates. I remember watching my father as a pastor. Uh, as a young person, I didn't know very much. But as I got older, we were kind of confidants. Uh, and uh, I, I began to find out some of the things that he was experiencing, what people were saying, people were doing. And uh, I, I was, um, I kind of second-guessed his pastoral style. And I told him, I said, Dad, you need to, you need to let him have it. You need to let him have it. And uh, I, I remember uh, my dad saying, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let God handle that. And uh, I, I watched and see, saw in certain situations where God turned it around. And, and, and instead of my dad having a bad reputation, my dad had a better reputation than ever. Instead of losing respect, he gained the respect of, of his fellow brethren. And in fact, my father was... Uh, um, was elected as the superintendent of the state of Tennessee by the pastors and ministers in that state, even though there were people uh, that I believe were led of Satan that were seeking to destroy and seeking to tear him down. But now I look back and say, you know what, it was a test. He was about to be promoted. And God was going to test. Can you trust me to handle it, or are you going to try to take care of it yourself? Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. Romans 12:19 says, "Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay," says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If you're always trying to pay people back, you are closing the door for God to do what he wants to do. Leave the door open so God can bring true justice into your life. Somebody's saying nasty things about you. Hey, that's no big deal. God's got me covered. He's got my back. Somebody cheats you out of money. No big deal. God's got my back. He'll repay me. Amen. It's a liberating way to live. You don't have to stress out about it. You don't have to fix everything that happens to you and get upset and try to manipulate the situation. You say, in effect, you know what? God's fighting my battles. Now, you talk about confidence and true happiness. When you say, hey, whatever happens in life, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to be a godly person, and God's going to fight my battles for me. And you watch and see, God will fight the battles for you. And this is a mark of maturity. This is a mark of developed personhood. Not to bow up and get angry and lash back. Uh, but this attitude that says, I will let God fight for me. And God says, then I can. Oh, Lord.
then I can promote you. And I feel the Spirit of the Lord speaking to us today that in order for God to get this church where this church needs to go, in order for God to get your ministry where your ministry needs to go, you're going to have to learn how to take some abuse and not give it back, but say, God, I'm letting you handle it. Amen. Just like Jesus didn't even answer his accusers, those that were beating him and putting nails into his hands and feet. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Amen. Jesus Christ is our example. And our example says God takes care of you and he will pay you back abundantly. I remember one particular example uh, where uh, my father as a minister, uh, there was a person who came into the church and uh, this person did a lot of wrong things and uh, turned a lot of people using his credentials, personality, and so forth, and misleading statements and lies and untruths. Just a very destructive person that came and turned a number of people against uh, my father and his ministry. And uh, I watched as my my father didn't do anything to get even with this person. And I, I was a young minister, and... Uh, I was a young minister, but I was wanting to show up at people's house with brass knuckles on and stuff. And uh, I was going to take matters into my own hands, you know, youthful zeal without much wisdom. But I watched my dad handle it gracefully, not fight his own battles, not try to correct everything, just kind of saying, you know, not that it didn't bother him, because I know many, many sleepless nights that my father had stressed out for the body, the church body, and so forth. But I watched, and it was unbelievable, unbelievable. This man, as he lost his spouse, she left him. He was a wealthy man. He lost his finance. He was a physician. He lost his practice and his business. And right now he's facing jail time. And this happened in a matter of... A year and a half. Now, we don't wish those kinds of things on anybody. But that's the other side of God's justice. You can't continually do wrong and cheat people and sow bad seeds and expect it not to catch up to you. You're not above the law. You're not exempt. What you sow, you will exactly reap the same thing. That's the law of the harvest. You can't plant one thing and expect to harvest another. Amen? And uh, I believe that my father passed those tests on the way to being promoted to what he's doing today. If he'd become angry and resentful, then God could not have promoted him. So if you leave it to God, you'll be far ahead, ahead of where you'll be if you take matters into your own hands. And the scripture that we read indicated that Saul was mistreating David, but David still respected Saul's position of authority. And like it or not, all of us are going to have authority in our lives. And God is interested in how we respond to authority, whether it's a boss, a supervisor, a teacher, a parent, someone in leadership in a church. Any one of these individuals, boss, teacher, parent, church leader, maybe one of those is not treating you right. You know they are doing wrong. It's easy to justify a bad attitude towards such a person and treat them with disdain 
or disrespect. They're rude or they're ungodly. I don't have to treat them with respect. The truth is, whether the person is acting right or not, God expects us to honor their position of authority. If you refuse to live under authority, God will never promote you to a position of greater authority. I really believe that if if David had responded in the flesh to Saul and sought to hurt him or to kill him, he might have been successful. But David never would have ascended to that position. See, the Bible said David was a man after God's own heart. That didn't mean that David was perfect, but that did mean, amen, that there was something in David that God said, I like it. And I believe it was in part because he knew how to trust God. He knew how to trust God even when he was mistreated, even when his authority was doing wrong and trying to hurt him and destroy him. It's easy to respect authority when authority is kind or or when we agree with them. But the test is when you get a Saul in your life, how are you going to respond? Maybe it's a test. You've got to do like David and trust that God is, is going to right the wrongs rather than trying you trying to pay back the Sauls in your life, the people in authority that maybe you don't feel like they have done you right. You've got to do like David and trust God. Amen? And you may say, well, I've been, I've been trusting God. I've been taking the high road. I've been forgiving people time and time again. I've been overlooking what they've doing, been doing. I've been biting my tongue. I've tried to keep a good attitude. When is God going to execute vengeance? When is He going to take care of it? Let me tell you, don't give up because God is building your character along the way and you are passing the test. Come on now. You are passing the test. See, God didn't anoint you just to stay at your current level, but God anointed, God didn't anoint David just to be a great shepherd boy. God didn't anoint David just to play the harp beautifully. God didn't anoint David just so he could take care of the sheep better. But God anointed him because he was going to promote him. But he couldn't promote him until he went through the time of testing. And in our lives, we need to understand and recognize that it may be a test because God has something for me. God has something for my life. God has something he wants to do through me. Not just so I can sit on the throne with a crown, but David's leadership of Israel expanded the kingdom. And God's saying, I want to use you to expand God's kingdom. But you've got to learn. You've got to learn to trust God. Not just for your food and drink. Not just for your provision and your healing. But you've got to learn to trust God. To bring justice into your life. You've got to learn to say, God, I'm not going to become resentful or angry. I'm not going to bear a grudge. I'm not going to try to get back. I'm not going to fight them. I'm going to let God handle it and take care of it in my life. Galatians 6, 9 says, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you faint not. Keep sowing. Keep sowing kindness. Keep sowing honesty. Keep sowing uh, 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 kind responses. And you watch, you will reap in due season. You've got to trust God's timing. God's timing is perfect. I love the scripture in Habakkuk 2 3. It says, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. But these things, and then in the. Uh, and NIV version says, but these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely, 
The time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. God's plan is in perfect timing. Be patient. It will happen slowly, steadily, surely. When the time approaches, it will be fulfilled. We tend to want it right now, don't we? Ooh, they mistreated me. I remember this as a kid. They mistreated me. God, I want you to put a hex on them right now. I want them to immediately feel the uh, negative effect of their actions. And uh, But God has an appointed time. And we may say, well, God, I've been trusting you for this in my life. I've been trusting you for a fulfillment of this dream in my life. When is it going to happen? God has an appointed time. And David's test was, I've been anointed king. When is it going to happen? I've been anointed king, but now I'm living in a mud puddle. I've been anointed king, and now I'm living in a cave. Now I'm being chased like a criminal. He was having to learn how to trust God's timing. And no matter how bad you may want it sooner, no matter how much you plead and how much you pray, God's going to do it on His timetable. Amen. And it takes faith to trust God's timing. You have to learn to be at peace, to relax, not to be stressed. You know, it would be great if we could go with our, to our prayer request with God and in 24 hours the answer is there. How many love, like, uh, um, you can uh, call a company and they, have over, they can overnight it to you. You get up the next morning. We wish we could get, make prayers like that or go in and type our prayer into the ATM machine and all of a sudden it comes out there at the bottom. But we have to learn to wait patiently because it's building character. And it's part of learning how to trust God. I don't know when it's going to happen, but His timing's perfect. God didn't tell the 120 exactly when the Holy Ghost is going to fall. He said, go and wait. You'll be endued with power from on high. While they were there praying, they were also trusting God that God didn't lie to them. And in His perfect timing, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, this feast that would celebrate the writing of the law, the law was going to be written in their heart in perfect timing. Since we're going to have to wait anyway, let's think about how we should wait. Amen. We can have a good attitude of expectancy or we can get upset, frustrated, and muttering and complaining. But since we can't do anything to make it faster when it's on God's timetable, we need to just be happy, patient, watch, relax, trust God, and let God bring justice into our life and answer our prayers. Amen. And there are things that people pray about. Maybe you are looking for a mate. You're unmarried. You know, you don't have to beg God incessantly about it. Relax. Knowing that at the right time, God is going to bring that perfect person into your life and not a second too late. Some of you are believing for family members to be saved. You don't have to quote scripture to them and throw Bibles at them and, and get mad because they don't come to church. Just relax. Live naturally in front of your family. Pray for them. Speak about your relationship with God in a natural way. Amen. And at the appointed time, God is going to get a hold of their heart. Come on now. You've got to believe what I'm saying. God is going to speak to them. It's liberating when you understand the concept of God's timing. And you're truly living by faith. Why isn't God 
not working in my life. I've been praying. I've been believing. I've been waiting. It seems God is doing nothing about my marriage, nothing about my situation, nothing about my job, nothing about my dreams. Remember, God is at work in your life. And God often works the most when we see it the least. God is often doing the most when we see the least evidence of Him at work. Oh, God. Praise the Lord. Learn to trust His timing. Don't get impatient. Don't try to force doors open. Don't try to make it happen in your own way. Let God do it in His way. And like David, one day, God's promises to you are going to be fulfilled. Those, those words of prophecy. Those words of prophecy. Those prophetic utterances about your ministry. About your calling. About God's blessings and God's future for your life. They will be realized. In God's perfect timing. But in the meantime, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to trust God. I'm going to let Him bring justice into my life. Hallelujah. I'm not going to get stressed out because when I get stressed out, I'm showing a lack of faith in God. When I get stressed out, I'm saying, God, I don't know that you're handling this. Amen. But faith in God, part of faith in God is learning how to relax and let God handle it. Amen. Let's stand together. God bless you. Hallelujah. I want you to reach over to the person next to you right now. Before we go home, I want us to pray with one another. Uh, Because all of us have situations maybe that we're dealing with. Not necessarily that someone's mistreated you or you're dealing with desiring to get vengeance on somebody. Maybe there's just something you've been praying about and asking God for and you're wondering, is God even at work? Does God know me? Does God care? I believe I had a promise from God, but I don't see any progression. I don't see it happening. I'm telling you right now, God gave you faith. That's why you're saved. You received the Holy Ghost because you had faith. And I want you to exercise that faith right now. By exercising that faith, I mean I want you to begin to believe that God's at work even though you see no evidence of it. I want you to believe that God is answering the prayer even though you see no evidence. I want you to believe that God is working on your behalf even right now. And I want you to pray for that person next to you right now. Hallelujah. If you know their name, I want you to call their name. Hallelujah. I want you to pray for them. And then after a season of prayer, let them pray for you. Let them call your name. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, teach us to trust in you, Lord God. Teach us to lean on you, Lord. Don't let us fall into the trap like King Saul of executing our own justice and getting our own vengeance and trying to work the system and manipulate things and force it and make it to happen, Lord God. The Lord Jesus, as we are diligent, as we are hardworking, as we are passionate for the kingdom of God, we, I know, Lord, that I cannot save a soul. It's you that saves souls. But, God, I believe you're going to use me, Lord, to reach somebody. God, I'm praying and I'm asking you, Lord. I'm trusting you. You're at work, Lord Jesus. So even when the evidence seems to present the idea that you're not at work, even when it seems like uh, you don't care, even when I look at, uh, uh, look at the things that are happening and just assume that you're not involved, God, I'm trusting you. I'm putting my faith in you. I'm trusting you to save my kids, Lord God. I'm trusting you to bring my spouse, uh, hallelujah, in, Lord Jesus. So I'm trusting you, Lord. I'm going to do my part to tear down the 
wall, Lord Jesus. And I'm trusting, Lord, that you're going to heal my marriage, Lord Jesus. I'm trusting, dear God. I'm believing you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord God. Come on, speak faith-filled words. Speak faith-filled words to that person right now. You're praying for. Speak faith-filled words. Tell them it's going to happen. Amen. That God is a prayer-answering God. That you need to trust and believe in the Lord. God is going to answer your prayer. Hallelujah. God is going to fulfill that promise in your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Come on, don't get frustrated. Woo! Hashapa! Hakataya! Hey, maybe you failed a test before, but now you're getting the answers. You're not going to fail it next time. God's going to promote you. Let's begin to clap our hands and praise the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Jesus, we praise you. Jesus, we worship and we adore you. Thank you, Lord. 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 Hallelujah. 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 Oh, glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. There's an old song I heard when I was a kid. It said, it says, trust in Jesus is all that really matters. Then your life will never be the same. There is only one way to trust him. Just believe when you call on his name. Trust in Jesus is all that really matters. Because then your life will never be the same. There is only one way to trust Him. You just believe when you call on His name. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord tonight. Thank you for your powerful, passionate prayer beforehand. God bless you. Um,